Hey all, welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, strange day for us to be doing this on a Friday, but we will do whatever we can to be able to talk with Andrew Whitehead on the, on the <laughs> podcast. So Andrew, so glad that you're here, uh, here with us uh, today. And welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. Good to see you again, Doug. Thanks. Hey, I will say uh, that to me, and maybe to a lot of people who follow our work, our podcast about Christian mm -hmm. nationalism, our online training, you're a, you're a staple. Uh, we, we've been traveling the country uh, much of 2022 and 2023, and we do a presentation at churches and for civic organizations, and um, you're in our presentation. So I feel like I'm talking to you all the time. I mean, I'm carrying you around, you know, in a computer as a video. So, so nice to have you here for real this time. Yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate that. It's been really great to be able to be part of the conversation, ongoing work um, in however we can. And um, so, yeah, that's a real, that's really encouraging to hear. So thank you. All right. Hey, we, we start our podcast often with a little chit chat about the weather with a reminder that we don't always agree on things and can't even see the world in the same way, but we do live under the same sky. Uh, yeah. So it's a good yeah. little reminder. It's cloudy, wet and uh like 38 degree for the high in minneapolis today and just one of those days where winter is like you know it can be worse so just you just you just hold on it's kind of reminding you you know that it's, it's really really coming which but it's mild for the you know whatever this is the 15th of december how are things there in indiana yeah, it's actually uh, clear blue skies, which is rare for us this time of year. Usually it's the permacloud has kind of set in. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm enjoying seeing the sun. And I think the high is right around 50 or so today. So it was really mild yesterday, mild today. So I'm trying to enjoy this weather while I have it because I know once March gets here in April, we'll, we'll have winter hanging on. So yeah. Well, Andrew, we're, we're going to talk about this great book that you have out, um, American Idolatry, uh, How Christian Nationalism Betrays the Gospel and Threatens the Church. And, and I will add, as I did in the description, not only threatens the church, I think it threatens the civic life of the American <laughs> enterprise. It's really a, really a problem. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about you first before we get into the, you know, the, the dark side of, of these effects <laughs> on our society. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a, an associate professor. Mm -hmm. of of sociology in uh, at Indiana University Purdue mm -hmm. is that right yeah yeah so I'm uh yeah professor of sociology and social scientists here in Indianapolis um our school is actually just being renamed it'll be Indiana University Indianapolis uh next fall so yeah I've been here for about three and a half four years before that was in South Carolina at Clemson and been studying Christian nationalism for a little over a decade now. So it, it yeah. the years keep going by and all of a sudden, you know, I've been doing this for quite, quite some time. Um, but yeah. Well, it's funny. We, we've talked to a lot of people who have been professionals in the Christian nationalism field and, and mm. it sort of dawned on me that you all are, are kind of like the, you know, the, the health professionals, the Dr. Fauci's of the, oh, right. yeah. of the pandemic where you've been toiling away, understanding this, we could call it a, you know, a cultural virus. And mm. a lot of people didn't know or think about it or care about it. And then for a lot of reasons, especially January 6th, 2021, yeah. this thing popped above the surface in a way that your expertise um, really, really becomes crucial. Um, how did you, how did you start studying all of this 10 years ago? Like what, what was it that got you into this? And, and if you want to talk about how you became a sociologist, feel free. I'm a, <laughs> yeah, I was a sociology major and anthropology major in college. Long, oh, long, there you long go. Back. So I, I have very fond memories of the good people that are sociologists and anthropologists. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, it really is like this, this latest book, American Idolatry, um, really is kind of the culmination and dovetailing of both my professional and personal journeys. So when I talk about professionally, why I was interested in studying Christian nationalism, a part of that is my personal journey of growing up in a conservative, white evangelical megachurch um, and community where everybody's religious. We all kind of believe the same things. Um, you worship alongside those who you know teach uh, your kids in middle school or your electrician or florist or whoever and so this tight-knit rural community um, where being a good american is being christian and being christian is you know then you're a good american and those identities just so closely intertwine and overlap and there isn't a lot of questioning 
if those are ever going to disagree or butt heads. And so growing up in this community and being raised, um, you know, in, in that community, uh, coming to the faith and, and being taught those values and beliefs of the Christian faith. Uh, but then as I get older and in high school and move off to college and, and start to see a little bit more of the world, um, recognizing and, and seeing some of the kind of cracks um, in what was before this unquestioned reality um, and, and starting to think through some of the implications of the Christian faith and seeing some of the, the dissonance, right? To follow Christ uh, faithfully as I'd been taught, when does that put me at odds with being a good citizen even? Um, and before you would never even really think that, but then all of a sudden you start to see that. And so that was part of my personal faith journey. Uh, and then in graduate school, learning mostly quantitative methods, surveys of the American public and, and seeing some questions that kind of get at this idea of believing that the U.S. is and should be a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. And so for me, walking through that personally and thinking through that, and, you know, so uh, a book early on that was influential was Greg Boyd's Myth of a Christian Nation. Oh, is that right? Okay. Hmm. Um, and so when reading that and then seeing uh, and starting to learn the, the tools of social science, um, and start to see the number of Americans that believe the U.S. is or should be a Christian nation, and then starting to see what those beliefs are associated with. For me, I started to then recognize, well, it seems like a lot of the beliefs that go along with thinking the U.S. is a Christian nation uh, are at odds with the values and beliefs of, of Christ and the gospel and that message that I had heard growing up. Um, and so that was really a part of my professional journey too. So I think, you know, in some ways bringing myself into what I was interested in, but then that really reflected back and, and caused me to think deeply about uh, the faith, the expression of Christianity that I'd been handed and, and finding alternative expressions out there. When a lot of people experience something like that, they right. go to college, they awaken, they move around, they realize maybe what I was told doesn't carry as well you know maybe mm -hmm. there was a an expiration date on that yogurt uh that was yeah. you know tasty at the time and did yeah. good for me but i'm not taking it with me they leave christianity mm -hmm. you didn't do that um and and a lot of people of your you know age generation experience just said like look people wrapped a bunch of things together back there uh, it's not worth my time worth my energy to unpack all that stuff mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let it lie. You not only didn't do that, you decided to unpack it and unravel mm -hmm. all of that. Can you talk a bit about that? And was there a pressure there or anything? Yeah. Just leave it that, all? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, and to be honest, you know, for those who, um, like me or, or others who are raised within this and have found or chosen or moved away, right? And set that down and moved on. Um, I really do have a lot of empathy for, right? I don't begrudge anybody for the journey that they're on and where they're at. Um, because I know for me that I've, I've had those moments of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, darkness or dark nights of the soul, whether it was, you know, for me, not so much um, how, how this expression of the Christian faith that, that I study that's associated with Christian nationalism, it's a very particular expression, yeah. you know, how that has been intertwined with politics and really kind of taken over um, a lot of American Christianity in various sectors, you know, that has never shaken me too much because I see those expressions of Christianity, especially, you know, one, one example that I always return to is the black church, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. all that they faced for, centuries um, and finding that way forward and and the theological tools that they created or that they have passed on, I think are so helpful for understanding what it means to follow Christ and be and, and recognize that this isn't mm -hmm. that we aren't called to dominate this world, but to faithfully live within it. Um, and so that's always encouraged me. I think what's been more difficult for me is just some of the um, you know, as a parent and a parent of special needs children, I think that has been part of that journey too, where the faith that I was handed was always victorious. And mm -hmm. if there was ever a valley, wow. it's only a part of the story of 
look at me now I'm out of it and I'm on the top and, and God has taken me out. And, and so for my own personal journey, um, that hasn't, that isn't part of the narrative, right? There is no just kind of, it's over now and, and look what, look what happened. And so just some of those theological tools associated with Christian nationalism, um, just, just can't serve. They, they just do not work in this experience. And so I think that's been a part of it too, where for me, that that's been the tougher road, I think, um, is, is finding the theological tools within Christianity to help make sense of, of that. And then thinking how that, yeah, in, influences how we relate to one another, right? Um, the common good, <laughs> both common good, right? Like the common flourishing, how can we be a part of that? And Christian nationalism just continually is not interested right. in the common good. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of expressions of within Christianity, unfortunately, that don't have that feel to it. And, and I'm with you. I mean, that's what that's the, been the greatest attraction to me of Christianity. That's why I stay affiliated with it and try to mm-hmm. do work inside the structures of it. Because I do mm-hmm. think there's a beautiful story there that wants to be inclusive. Right. But so many people's experience, so many expressions of it, of the way we organize our churches and denominations, and just the whole thing can feel an awful lot like an us, not them kind of attitude. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that Christian nationalism uh, flourishes inside of Christianity in some ways, because mm. people are just enculturated so deeply into the the binary distinctions of mm. of just fill in the blank, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 this podcast is more about you, but I think about it myself. When I, when I first got into Christianity, I was dating the person who's now my wife and um, I was new to Christianity, like brand new, didn't grow up in any of it or anything, but I went to mm-hmm. church with her. She went to a, a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. Yeah. No one needs to know about the in, the intricacies of Lutheranism, <laughs> but yeah. this is the, the much more conservative wing. Um, For sure. The, the Wisconsin Synod Lutherans will remind you, oh, not as conservative as we are, therefore not as right, <laughs> but, but pretty, pretty, the Missouri Synod people, yeah. pretty, pretty conservative. And when I go to church with her family, which they really wanted me to do, when mm. communion would happen, I would have to like scoop my big long legs over while everybody in the pew slid out beside me, these narrow little pews, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. stand up and wait because they wouldn't let me have communion in that, in that church. Like, here's this right. thing. It was, it wasn't a heartbreaker. I didn't want to take communion in that church anyway. I didn't understand mm. what they were doing and, you know, didn't feel like I was missing out on a wafer and a, and a sip of juice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that experience of mm-hmm. you can be here, you can date, but now we've reached a point where there's an in and an out. And man, yeah. we've all, I think, had those those times. And Christian nationalism is certainly uh, built around it. Okay, can I pivot that into another question? And then I want to come back yeah. to a comment you wrote about your book. Yeah, please do. There's a lot of sociologists who don't want to talk about their own religious experience as well as forthrightly mm-hmm. as you do. Now, I think it's helpful for people in Christian nationalism work to know that you, you have your own drive and interest, personal interest, and, mm-hmm. and you're not out to get Christians. <laughs> um, right. But any pressure, how did you think about being as forthright and even writing a book that's really about your area of study, Christian nationalism, and the work you do, the very specific sociological and data-based work, mm-hmm. taking that material to write a book like the one that we're going to uh, talk about today, which has a focus on the effect of this Christian nationalism in faith communities as much as it does in the civic society. Do you want to talk a little bit about your choice to be a public sociologist in very public spaces and also a uh, being forthright about your own Christian commitments and experience and faith? Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about that. You know, like with a lot of things in life, probably it's, it's, you find yourself down the road and you look back and you're like, oh, wow, here I am. Uh, How did I get here? So I don't know if there was this moment where I was like, okay, now I am pivoting. Um, But I think as I was studying um, Christian nationalism, you know, years ago, and then the first book comes out, um, and then seeing the how helpful it was to folks where they would come up and say this gave, provided a framework, right? We can make sense of what, what was going on here. Um, so 
then, you know, I co-wrote that with Sam Perry, um, who obviously has, has done a lot of great work too, um, even beyond that. Um, and so we're writing for more public audiences. And I think that was um, really engaging and important just to be able to show that social science has, you know, a framework, has things to offer to help make sense for those who are interested in these topics. And so it got to the point where, you know, I look at this book and I, I can almost point out the paragraph or two in our first book that mm -hmm. kind of were the seeds, the germination of this book, um, where just kind of highlighting that, you know, for many Christians, when they say Christianity, you know, loves its neighbors and kind of go down the list, um, when we look at what Christian nationalism is associated with over and over, it's hard to make a case that it's about loving your neighbors, you know, um, all the way through. And right. so for me, it came to that point where uh, it was like, well, you know, if I can build this or write this next book with the foundation of all the empirical research that we have of this is what Christian nationalism is, this is what mm -hmm. we know about it and start from there. But then to kind of lay my cards on the table and, and you know, show that, well, now I'm, I'm moving beyond the empirical and I'm going to move in to make normative statements as a Christian myself. Um, I think hopefully I can reach that audience, you know, fellow Christians, those who, you know, I, I get emails still and before or folks coming up to me and just saying, you know, as I was in church looking around wondering, how did we get here? What's going on? And this has helped me understand yeah. that, right? And so now wanting to hopefully reach that audience and say to those maybe who haven't heard of it, you know, this this is a part of my journey. A lot of other people are on this journey. No matter where you are on the journey, um, hopefully you can come in and learn more about where we've all been, where we're going and what Christian nationalism is and, yeah. and how it not only threatens um, democracy uh, in a real way, but but threatens the Christian church, and that there are expressions of Christianity out there that we can move toward, um, conservative, progressive, moderate, right. you know, wherever you might define yourself, there are expressions that move away from Christian nationalism, and we can, we can do that together. And so, um, yeah, I think for me, just wanting to be forthright with, okay, now I'm moving into that normative space and making claims, you know, that go beyond the data, but always building from that foundation as mm -hmm. a social scientist of, of what we know in the science. So you probably don't read the comments on, uh, Amazon about the book. Uh, I did. <laughs> uh, and I want, I want to share one with you. And if you don't yeah. read them, good for you, there's, yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing good to be found there, um, yeah. for, for you as the, as the author. Yeah, uh, but I thought this was an insightful. I thought this was a comment that gave insight into mm. a view that a lot of people have that I think mm. would be a nice pivot for us to talk about the book. So if you don't yeah. mind, on my phone here, I'm going to read this uh, this this comment. Um, it's entitled uh, "Don't Waste Your Money." Uh, <laughs> I'm buying the book. <laughs> yeah, and then and the person writes, "This is an agenda." The author is trying to jump on a political bandwagon without including the context of scripture. I would give it zero stars if I could. I listened to him speak about the book and was nothing but a political push against a certain group. He is also a limited understanding of the Supreme Court, which he's mentioning because he used a certain case to, uh, to make people emotional to continue pushing his agenda. Don't waste your money. My book turned into a coaster until trash day. I mean clever little ending there setting aside the fact of you know the person telling other people not to not not to waste their money mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting we've run into this as well and i'm sure anybody who brings up the term christian nationalism mm -hmm. to a person who might be akin to christian nationalism mm -hmm. they're like oh now you're doing a political thing on me now you're attacking my faith and now you don't understand the the scriptures in the bible um can you just talk a bit about that and how this book fits into that, sparing the, the details of that, of that comment um, and, and how important that is because of the percentage of people, I don't know, 30 million people, maybe something like that, maybe more mm -hmm. 50 million who hold the Christian nationalist views sometimes at a very, very deep level. When they hear this, they're like, here comes the political agenda again. Here comes the leftist, anti-God, anti-religion people. Mm -hmm just trying to find another way to attack 
good, wholesome, you know, Christian folk in America, and they really don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, that, that comment has a really interesting story because it actually, um, I, I had a trip where I was invited out to Iowa uh, last month and spoke at a couple colleges. And, and I, I know the because per- this person had a question during the Q&A, so I, I literally know, I don't know this person, but I know that the person that asked this question later left this review. So I doubt they read the book um, at all but uh, are really responding to the the presentation that I gave. Um, And so, you know, their question was about, well, you know, you talk about the Bible and um, the Bible is clearly against uh, homosexuality. And so, you know, how, how are, you know, for, for Christians who hold that view and how could Christian nationalism be wrong then um, in this sense? And, so I tried to make the case or, or underscore like I do in the book and in that comment um, or in answering that comment that, you know, there are a number of expressions of Christianity. Anybody that says there's just this one true distilled version that we're all trying to get back to um, doesn't realize or understand that culturally Christianity has been influenced across the centuries and is now. And there are different expressions even within our country outside of it and all that. And that, um, there are Christians that all take the Bible very seriously, but come to different views on, for this particular question, homosexuality. And so, again, with Christian nationalism, it's underscoring a particular expression of Christianity to see that expression alone privileged in the public sphere. Whereas what I'm trying to argue or highlight is that there are a number of expressions of Christianity that um, take seriously uh, scripture, mm-hmm. um, and come to different conclusions. And, and perhaps our goal shouldn't be to enshrine just this one, but to live among and, and amongside and alongside folks of other faiths or no faith or other Christians who believe differently and finding a common way forward, um, together. And so, um, you know, kind of this claim that, you know, folks who oppose Christian nationalism just don't take the Bible seriously, I think that is that's false. Um, we yeah, we sure. do take the Bible seriously, and and so that's where that comment is coming from. This claim that you must not believe the Bible. Where in the book, you know, I I do take the Bible seriously, and I think there are things, you know, in in the first chapter, right? Whatever the gospel is and how we define it. Mm-hmm. In Luke four, I I draw on that Jesus' first, you know, public speaking when he's talking about freeing the prisoners and the oppressed. And and the and healing the blind, I I think to take the Bible seriously is say that he was literally talking about oppressed and imprisoned and folks mm-hmm. like that, rather than just spiritualizing it. And I think spiritualizing it actually doesn't take the Bible seriously. Bible seriously yeah. But that is where folks might go with that. So that's where that comment is. And so I think to to just kind of let this narrative continue that folks who might have different political views, whatever it might be about homosexuality. And there are people that have might believe similarly that the Bible is clear on homosexuality, but mm-hmm. still have different ideas about how politically that should operate in America. And so yeah. I think there needs to be room for that discussion too. And, and to just say, well, you have to be against this, you have to be against that, or else you're not Christian, or you don't take the Bible seriously. That's, that's the narrative that we have to push back on. And that's where that comment comes from. And in some ways, that's one of the key points for some Christian nationalists. And, you know, you're very good at articulating that there's not one Christianity. There never has been. I like to be reminded, that's why there's four Gospels. You know, the whole thing starts right out of the chutes. You know, the first time they gather up a collection, it's like, well, we're not going to have one Gospel. There's going to be four. Right. Uh, And they don't agree with each other. So right out of the way, you're you're into the multiple expressions and multiple storytelling and, and, and so on. And there's multiple versions of Christian nationalism. Like not all Christian nationalists are the same. And this is something I've right. learned very deeply in the last few years is how many, and I think there's a particular variant to borrow that, that COVID metaphor again, mm-hmm. a very, there's a new, there's new variant of this virus that's alive and well, and is the most popular now uh, that mm-hmm. really wasn't around at other periods of time. It's been, it's been reshaped and reformed. We can talk about that if we have time, if we have time to get to it, if you want to later. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this idea that, 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 that Christian nationalism equals conservative Christianity, 
is importantly not true as well. The, the first people I heard about Christian nationalism as being a threat were from very conservative Christians, you know, mm-hmm. Mennonites yeah. and, and other people, a bunch of Anabaptists, like really conservative theologically, socially, and culturally that mm-hmm. said, we have to have a gospel that separates us from America. You can't blend those things together. I hear the same thing from super progressive people and from people that are moderate. And, and I hear actually super progressive people that talk like Christian nationalists sometimes. It makes me right, crazy. Right. You know, they just <laughs> pick a different Bible passage. You know, they pick Matthew 5 to care for the weak instead of, you know, Romans 12. Like they're mm-hmm. just picking different passages, but they're still acting as if the United States and the call of the gospel as they understand it can be unified into one, one, mm-hmm. one idea. So yeah. it's re- but it's really hard to not end up in this conservative, uh, progressive spectrum when you're talking about Christian nationalism, even though I think it's on a different, a, a different continuum altogether. Do, mm-hmm. do you think, do you think similarly, do you think it's, it's not helpful or right to just conflate the social or theological conservatism or progressivism with Christian nationalism? Yeah, you know, I do. And so if we're talking empirically, right, they're folks that are more politically conservative are more likely to embrace Christian nationalism to very extents. And then those that are more liberal or progressive politically less likely to do so. So it does operate within this sphere. Um, it isn't wholly subsumed under political views though, but I think especially for Christians, um, those that identify with the Christian faith. I think um, finding common cause with those who might have different political expressions or views um, to highlight that there are things that we hold in common that Christian nationalism threatens, um, I think that's really important. So, you know, there are folks that are more religiously conservative than me, let's say like Russell Moore. Um, I'm sure there are things that I differ with him on religiously, But he's at a point now, and I am too, on this journey where we both recognize Mm -hmm. the threat of Christian nationalism and speak against it. And so I think that's those are important stories to tell, highlight that it isn't just if you're politically liberal or progressive, then you must have no problems. There are still going to be issues we need to recognize. Um, And if you're conservative, it doesn't mean that you... um, automatically embrace Christian nationalism. Um, you know, so one, one example, I was on a, a podcast um, and, and one of the hosts, you know, votes Republican every four years, right? And every two years, like he's, he's just politically conservative. And so also a Christian asking, well, how, how can we work together, right? How can we coexist? Because are you saying I'm just always going to be this? And I would say no. And, and there's, you know, a, uh, an article that I pointed to, um, in first things, I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, it's a, you know, an online, well, I think it used to be a magazine, but it's online now. And so nobody would look at first things and say that this is a progressive or liberal publication, yeah. but yeah. it's Christian. Um, and, the magazine and, is called first things, right? Yeah. Someone, first yeah. things. Yeah. People, yeah. Yeah. People that might and, be interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, very conservative publication, but, uh, they, there was an article on there about the conservative case for single payer healthcare Uh and the person writing it. Now he operates outside of the U S in a missionary uh, context. And so that probably is part of it, right? Like he has, you know, has a different view on it, but just goes down the line of politically and religiously. If you're conservative, you know, politically or, or Christian, um, this is why single payer healthcare would would be better. It is mm-hmm. it is the conservative position. Now, if you were in any space that really embraced Christian nationalism, you talk about single payer healthcare. There's no way they will see that as part of the platform. But here, I'm saying, look, this is from a conservative position arguing for this again mm-hmm. um, position that has just been branded as outside the conservative position. I think that's instructive, right? Where can we see those things, and that helps again, um, helps us confront and oppose Christian nationalism that would not be interested in any sort of hmm. common healthcare um, to serve folks all across the spectrum. So that's one example, but I think it is important to, to recognize there is a lot of overlap, but there are areas where um, these aren't one and the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no need to assume if you meet a conservative Christian person that they're going to be a Christian nationalist. But it's right. not a bad idea to check. 
you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> because it can it, be so pervasive and, and people yeah. don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, I, I think I shy away from even using the term Christian nationalist to talk about people. I like to talk about the ideology Christian nationalism mm. because it doesn't exist on a binary. It's not your either or. And I think when we create again, that either or you're, you're, you're either it or you're not, mm. that's unhelpful. I think it exists on a spectrum and we embrace it more or less strongly. And so wherever we're at on our journey, yeah. thinking through those that kind of are embracing it, you know, right in the middle, it's still important to think of, well, how can we let go of some more of this to move it further uh, down the line? Um, and then we don't essentialize each other too, which I think is really important, right? People aren't just this binary, you're a Christian nationalist and that's it. But there are aspects where um, we need to continue to think through, well, how am I embracing aspects of this view and how can I move towards what I think is a, um, an expression of Christianity that is interested in um, meeting people and the marginalized where they're at and then leveraging our privilege to help serve them. All right. Let, let me, let me do the thing that people probably do to you when you're on an airplane or in a panel yeah, yeah. or on a podcast. Andrew, what is Christian nationalism? Uh, you know, give it, give it to me short and quick. Uh, how yep. can someone, how can someone know what it is? What is it? Yeah. So Christian nationalism, um, is a cultural framework that idealizes and advocates for a particular expression of Christianity to be privileged in American civic life and for the government to privilege this particular expression of Christianity as the central organizing cultural framework of how we do life uh, here in the United States. I love that definition. So good. I'm going to clip that and share it around. Is it not then fair to say, based on our previous point of the conversation, someone who holds that framework, operates within that framework, supports that framework, mm -hmm. is a Christian nationalist? It, so can you just talk about the more broadly, even as both a sociologist and, and a person with an opinion, the yeah. isms of anything, socialism, yeah. communism, capitalism, and a capitalist, a socialist, a communist, a Christian nationalist. Yeah. Can you just talk about the difference between that ideology that's held and a person that holds to that ideology not being a nationalist, Christian nationalist? Yeah. Well, and, and it could be it's just a personal preference of my own um, to not label folks. And and what's been interesting too is for some folks in this space, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is an example, right? She like claims that title of, of Christian nationalist and wants to redefine it, right? Her definition yeah, puts of it on that, shirts, literally. I am yeah, a proud Christian nationalist. Yep. Yeah, it's different than what we're talking about in social science and empirically. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't just, you know, loving your nation and then being a Christian. That's not it. That's not We've never said that, um, that type of thing. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I think continuing to talk about the ism hopefully helps open up space for conversation too, that when I come and talk to someone, um, they may embrace it pretty strongly, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that that is the entirety of yes. how they see the social world or who they are um, or that they're not on a journey. I think, you know, there are some folks that do embrace it really strongly would be totally fine with being labeled a Christian nationalist, mm -hmm. um, but, and, and don't have any desire to kind of wrestle with the implications of that. And so, you know, those aren't folks that I probably will be able to reach or have a lot of conversation with around this topic. But even then when they, when they view that term or that label as derogatory, um, I think it's unhelpful again to just open mm -hmm. up space for conversation. And, and I don't use it in a derogatory term. I think it's, um, you know, we've, we've clarified the definition and what we're talking about. And so it's, you know, if you embrace Christian nationalism, it's a empirically appropriate way to describe their political theology and, and worldview. Um, and so that's what we need to talk about, I think. Yeah, look, I, I think it's that's so spot on and so important just overall that we separate the viewpoints we have from the identities that we affiliate with. They're right. not always the same. We, we all think a lot of things and hold to a lot of frameworks, some of which we're aware of, some of which we're not. We're just yeah. operating in them. That's just how human beings are. Yeah. And to then assign particular categorizations of identity to someone mm -hmm. who doesn't choose it for themselves. In our training, it's one of our 
Mm. One of our points of, of what we want to train people to do is empathy and engagement and to not yeah. attribute to someone identity mm. that they don't attribute to themselves, but to yeah. talk about the ideas that people hold to or that are operative. I got this yeah. from you and you and Sam, you know, these, I think it was in one of our trainings, the uh, first ones that we did with you, where you said, look, Christian nationalism views are performative in a person's view of the world. Mm -hmm. They do things. <laughs> if you hold that view, it also means, statistically speaking, you're more likely to hold these other views. So it mm -hmm. is doing something. Mm -hmm. And that's different than you are something. You know, I, I don't yeah. know, I'm not trying to be the, the philosopher as well here, you know, with human beings and human doings. But there's yeah. a big difference between that. And it's good for us to identify that and to go after especially this idea that you articulated so clearly in that definition that you've had to refine and, and, mm -hmm. and with the precision of a, of a well-trained author and sociologist <laughs> right. got down to the least amount of words possible. But it, it really, to me, is this act of privileging some version of Christianity with yeah. the power of the government, the state, yeah. local, and federal government. Is, yeah. is that a way for someone, if they're you know, walking around this tree multiple times trying to understand what Christian nationalism is, is it really, is it as important as I'm putting the emphasis on that it's the privileging with the power of government, a certain version of Christianity or certain views? Would that be? Yeah, it is. It is. I think, and even with, uh, in this book, American Idolatry, the central idol, as I talk about it, is power. So I think that really is the central organizing framework of Christian nationalism is the will to power. And so power is the ability to get others to do what you want despite resistance and and politics mm. and power and living together like there's no way for christians to opt out of that right if we're going to live among other people we are we are engaged in politics so anybody that's like saying oh there's a third way where we just aren't going to be a part of that mm. like hopefully those that listen to this at some point will start to recognize that is a position that flows from privilege because if the political structures are coming after you, you don't get to opt out, right? But for a white man like myself, Protestant Christian, um, there's the, the likelihood of politics coming after me and my embodied reality is really low. Like it probably won't ever happen. Even if folks that I disagree with who embrace Christian nationalism come to power, they probably aren't gonna pass a lot of stuff that's going to directly hmm. oppress or affect me. Right? But as I listen to the voices of those on the margins or being crushed by these different um, political uh, structures or throughout history have been on the outside, then I can start to see through their eyes and their experiences they're telling me and I listen to them and believe them. I can start to see that, okay, privileging this particular expression of Christianity and with it having its hands on levers of power, it's usually working to benefit folks like me that look like me, worship like me, whatever else. And I think my Christian faith is, is pushing me in a direction where that isn't um, doing good in the world, right? Mm -hmm. that, that Jesus called us to side with those who are marginalized mm -hmm. um, and that the gospel is a message of not only a personal relationship with God, I think it's part of it, but it's incomplete. The gospel is bigger. It's talking about how we relate to one another, mm -hmm. right? And trying to heal the brokenness and, and sin-soaked structures of the world so that there's a common flourishing. Um, yeah. And we can, we can be a part of that work, and we should be. That's why I think that opting out is um, no good, right? That yeah. isn't following Christ. That we need to live and work within these structures mm -hmm. um, because that's what we're called to do, and that's that's the way that life works. But how can we do that in such a way that it isn't about privileging this particular group, but that we're opening up the possibility for engagement, social belonging, um, civil rights benefits for, for all Americans, not just those who align with a particular social arrangement or structure. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a conversation with lots of people that hold Christian nationalist views, partly because I bring it up a lot and, yeah. you know, people know it's safe to talk to and, and I seek out, seek out people. And there's yeah. a group of people who are very, very strongly advocate for a greater role of prayer in America. Mm -hmm. They're really happy that prayer uh, opens uh, public meetings. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. very bothered, very bothered by such things. They're very happy that there's chaplains for our states and federal governments yeah. that I'm very bothered by the fact that we uh, 
have chaplains um, in in those in those functions that are specifically doing the, the bidding of the government. Um, they really want prayer in school, mm-hmm. but not if it's led by Muslims. So a right. bunch of people here where I live in Minnesota were very riled up by the fact that mm-hmm. public charter schools that are catering toward people from Somalia yeah. have prayer in the school because yeah. it's Muslim prayer. Mm-hmm. These are the same people advocating for greater prayer for chaplains for all the rest of this, right? They want mm-hmm. more of that. They don't want us to take God out of the schools, but not that expression of God in the schools. Yeah. yeah. That is, it seems like, I don't know. I guess if someone was like, look, I think religion's great. It's powerful force in people's lives. There should be more religion in our society. We shouldn't be, no matter what the religion, right? Great. Yeah. yeah. That rarely happens. It's most <laughs> often... Yeah. This other thing. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. would these people say I'm a Christian nationalist? No way would they identify with that term. They might not even hear the well-articulated, you know, 12-word description you had and mm-hmm. say, like, no, not really. But when it comes down to it, they'd be like, hey, that coach should be praying on Friday nights at the football game. Right. But the imam shouldn't be praying it, you know, uh, three times a day during school. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that it, isn't that it sort of in a moment? Sorry, I think I froze up there. Yeah, you did. You did. But it was right at the right moment. So it looked like you were really pondering my question. Doesn't doesn't that kind of capture it? Do you think that's that is one one, you know? Yeah, no, I think I I think those examples perfectly capture, again, that desire for privilege Um, and the assumption that, well, my kind of Christianity, let's say, is representative of just enough of our country's history or the people that are living right now, that it should be privileged, that it should, if we're going to be religious or do anything religious, it might as well be this, might as well be mine. But like you said, when you start to pull some of those threads and think about, well, what if the tables were turned and what might that feel like? Um, And I think that's where for Christians, recognizing that we're living in a country that is more religiously and ethnically diverse now than it has been ever. Right? There's going to be a lot of other voices and perspectives um, operating in that. And we're living in a time right now where, you know, the largest group of Americans are those who are not affiliated with any religious tradition, right? Like if you put all Christians together, it's still a majority of the country. But if you break out Catholics and mainline and evangelical Protestants, you know, some of our top three Christian traditions, they're smaller than the group that is the unaffiliated. And so what, what does it feel like for them to live and work um, and go about their daily lives in this context? And so then I think, you know, recognizing, well, supporting a, a pluralistic democratic society where you don't have to adhere to a particular expression even of Christianity um, to feel truly American, I think is important. And it's a way to love our neighbors. Um, there's a, you know, a good friend of mine, Andrew Seidel, who is, um, and he would say this, so I'm not speaking for him, but, you know, is an atheist and I am a Christian. And so we have deep differences in beliefs about <laughs> the cosmos mm-hmm. and all these things, but we hold values. We have particular values that we hold the same. And it's the right of each other to exist, Mm. to be fully American, to take part, to represent what we're doing here. And when we have those values, and I think, you know, Doug, the work you're doing, Vote Common Good, all of these things are are part of that work. And so that is so important. But when we hold those values in the same, then we can have discussions with those who have beliefs that are very different, that are productive and don't actively harm them or push them to the side. And that to me is... As a Christian, that I think is living out the gospel where we're trying to bring a flourishing and a common good to our public life, those around us. Um, And and other, yeah, go ahead. And and we should be clear this stuff isn't easy. It it wasn't easy in all the periods of the development of Christianity. It's raised in the gospels, it's raised in in the Jewish texts about what's the relationship between kings and kingdoms and. Yeah. Call of God and the prophets. Like it is a universal human experience in the last five, six thousand years of recorded human history, or we'll just call it 
since the existence of the earth in the last five or 6,000 years for that. Yeah, yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> um, it, it has been an ongoing issue. For Jesus sure. raises it. The apostles write about it. The early church struggled with it. Constantine screwed it up. Augustine doubled down on the screw up in my view. It's just been, it, it's been troubling theologically and it's been troubling civically to the point yeah. that in the United States, when we decided to have a nation and not a series of colonies, Right out of the shoots, they're like, okay, we're going to try to answer this question. Amendment yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. No establishment of religion. That tells you it was a big question of the day. Yeah. Right? So sure. we shouldn't be as flippant as we sometimes are. The people who hold the views that I hold, you hold. And I'm saying you're flippant people, but are Great. like, Look, yeah. this is easy. Like, it's just this or that. And, and it's not. This is a negotiation day after day after day. On how right. do you do this? How do you render to Caesar what is Caesar and the God was God? How do you give into the authorities because they're put in place by God? How do you uh, follow the cross and not the shield? Like all this stuff that's in the, in the Christian <laughs> traditions and the Jewish traditions, it's really hard. And yeah. we should approach this, I think, with a little more, I don't know, like this is a project that is so American mm. and a project that is actually so Christian. I don't want to speak for other traditions, religious traditions. But if you're Christian and American, both both parts of those identities have been wrestling with this question, and we need to keep it refreshed and not be like, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the church in Virginia yeah, <laughs> and, and said there's a separation of church and state. Problem solved. Let's move on. It's yeah. like that. And I know I hear, we hear that a lot from the people that support the views that I hold. And I'm like, that doesn't even begin to get there. It, I mean, Thomas Jefferson wouldn't have thought that ever begins to get there. That yeah. <laughs> The reason he wrote that was after, anyway, like there was already a constitution and amendments and he was trying to figure out now, what do you do? So, yeah, totally. okay. I, I know I talked a lot there, but do you have any thoughts on that, that this is an ongoing project that we should be taking more seriously at every level of our civic? Yeah, life? for sure. No, I think those are excellent points. And and, and here's the thing with that too, folks that embrace Christian nationalism have particular political, social views. They have a right to exist in this country and, and bring those thoughts and beliefs into the public square. But what we're trying to say is that those shouldn't be privileged or have the only route to power that other groups need to be a part of it. And then working together to find a common way forward. Um, and that's going to be really messy, really difficult, not easy. And so I think too, the, you know, I hope I worked hard at the tone of the book to be like, this isn't like I've arrived and here's the answer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on a journey and others are on a journey We're, and let's journey together to work this out. But there are going to be certain things that we we do have to hold as the foundation and, and identifying the gospel as something that should motivate us to seek the good of, of all people and those around us um, and to try and move in such a way in the world that we're, we're bringing more people into the, the common benefits. Because there are, there are a lot of things that I'm grateful for, for being born mm. here by accident, right? Historical accident. Um, yeah. And, and, and so you talk to your parents, maybe by you know, personal accident yeah, too. Who yeah, knows? totally, depending, <laughs> right. And so, yeah, just I think there's an there's a element of humility. And, you know, and as I listen to you talk and that I want to you know, keep pushing on myself too, where this, this isn't that we just have answers, but that we need to get comfortable with the questions. We need to get comfortable with the tension. There's always going to be tension. And so, you know, there's some podcasts where like, well, here's this one, you know, type of uh, situation that could happen. So what do you do then? Shouldn't Christians just have control? Like you, you know, answer this one thing and like, well, every situation is so different and complicated, but I think having these values as the foundation, then we can move in and have conversations depending on the particularities of what we're coming up against and how can we seek good for, for all. And so that's yeah, difficult, yeah. Though, right? It's, There's gray area and it's hard, but and, I think- I feel like what broke this thing, and this is just my bias. Okay. This is gonna be my expressions, not yours. So you're just gonna, mm -hmm. be, you're gonna be, you know, just gonna get secondhand smoke on you on this one. Okay. Um, Donald Trump broke this thing in a whole fresh new way because not even his own doing the crowd that came around Trump conjured up 
a 25, 30 year old notion that the apostolic, the new apostolic reformation people are into that God chooses particular leaders at certain times to accomplish God's purposes in the world. Mm-hmm. God's primary purpose in the world is to use the United States and the nation of Israel to fulfill God's ecclesiological and, and, and future uh, agenda in the world through mm-hmm. church and religion and so on. That the Christianization of the planet is what should, is going to ultimately fulfill God's purposes. And Donald Trump is the unique character that God chose to do this. Pat Robertson says that stuff. I've been in meetings with Michael Flynn where he says that stuff. Like this stuff is just pushed all the time. Mm -hmm. So the blend, a new, this is my theory on a new variant. The new variant of Christian nationalism is deeply surrounded this seven mountains philosophy of Mm -hmm. influence that there's seven areas of society that Christians should have dominance of. And it's all the areas of society, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and that there's key leaders who are picked to fulfill God's purposes. So when someone starts talking about what was written in the Constitution or age-old agreements, they're like, yeah, but that's not... There's this other theory of mm-hmm. what God's agenda is for the world to Christianize the planet through the United States and Israel specifically, mm-hmm. and that's what's up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot. If no one's ever heard any of that, you can go back and listen to our podcast. We go th- our trainings <laughs> and all that stuff. We go through all this stuff. Um do you have any thoughts about that? The new apostolic reformations view of the seven mountains philosophy and key leader, mm-hmm. uh, you know, theologies and why it is that a, a King Cyrus character like Donald Trump is God's ultimate purpose. And did that, do you, do you, do you buy my take on this? And did, do you think that also broke America in a new way? Yeah, no, I think the, the seven mountains and dominionist theology and ideology that has been influential for, for decades. Right. And that was a part of it. And a lot of it was being interacted with at kind of the more elite levels, right. Of the political religious, um, folks writing about that. And it would kind of trickle down and distill down and then get out into the people. Cause a lot of our work, right. Is surveying Americans. Um, and, and kind of the rank and file or the people in the pews, if you talked about, do you know what the new apostolic reformation is or dominionist theology or anything like that? I mean, the majority have, you know, they're not going to know, but if you're talking about, well, should Christianity be very influential in these various areas, that type of thinking has percolated out. And so, you know, whether folks are aware of it or not, that's definitely a part of, of, you know, what we're, we're thinking and drinking. And I think, you know, listening to you, you know, a, a point that I like to make um, and recognize is that Donald Trump um, wasn't something new on the scene, but he was a natural kind of endpoint to what was happening, you know, in the seventies in response to the sixties, but with the rise of religious right. And I think, you know, in many ways he was an important um, test of the power of Christian nationalism in the sense that he's not personally Christian and doesn't really care to present himself that way, but he is willing to use that rhetoric and provide access to power for those that have a very particular view of American civic life. And he's willing to do that. And so for those folks, they were singing the praises. Um, and, and in that sense, when, when folks feel like their vision for the world is legitimized by the sacred, and this is God's vision for the world, they're more than willing to set aside anything in their way, including democracy in order to see that come to pass. And I think that's what we're facing right now is that when democracy provided, uh, the results that aligned with where they would want to see the country go, then fine. But the second that it doesn't, well, then we need to figure out, well, who actually can participate, right? And limit that. And that's been a part of the project for decades too. Yep. Yep. Ideas need people and they don't just need people to be behind the ideas. They need the personification of the idea. Mm. If we were speaking theologically, we would say the word becomes flesh and dwells among you. The words have to have a human expression. That's why Mm. we have spokespeople for things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Think about Mm. the environmental movement and that, what was that, what's that girl's name? Uh, the, the school Greta Thunberg, the right. young. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have since forgotten, but yeah. like her, her story is like, she did a thing and then people rally around and there's somebody Donald Trump is that character. He yeah. is the, that's why the attack on January 6th was like Christian flags, a noose for Mike Pence and pictures of Donald Trump and Trump hats. Like it, mm. it it's the thing that's needed. Mm. For this, and I feel like 
that Trumpism, even though many people in Trumpism world and, you know, whatever, however they want to view themselves, a bunch of them, they call themselves red hatters, but the red hatters don't, they're not all Christian nationalists. Some of them don't even care or think about it. But I was in a bar with Proud Boys in Florida in a debate with them in October of 2020. Oh, um, man. Yeah. Uh, you can watch that video sometime. And they were full on Christian nationalists, like mm. the most hardcore biker Proud Boys were also advocating Christian ideas, which is why someone like me, uh, you know, an evangelical pastor traveling the country telling people not to vote for Donald Trump was such a particular anathema to them. Right. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the point of the spear kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just mixed up in a way. And man, I have seen so many people who have said they've become big Trump supporters, big Christian nationalist boosters who said seven or eight years ago, my Christianity didn't mean anything to me. This mm. brought me back to my faith. Mm. I've been hearing yeah. this stuff. God's like, there is an actual Christian movement of devotion inside yeah. of this world. Michael Flynn's events, they're baptizing people at them and there's altar calls like so so that's the other thing this isn't like some old stale idea that's been around for a while and we just can't seem to get over it you know like the common cold you know we could mm -hmm. solve for covid but we can't solve for the common cold it's not the common cold i think it's like this is really something that people are emboldened in their in the very christian faith they profess by yeah. this. Do you see that too? And I, I know we have to go, um, but yeah. do, you, do you see that there's an emboldening of people into no, I, a faith that holds Christian nationalism central? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, wrapping up identity and ritual and the power of all of that together, right? That you, like you said, some of those, um, you know, they're rallies, but they're revivals, right? And, and they yes. really take on that, that feel. And those are powerful things. And again, with, with the particular expression of Christianity that makes up Christian nationalism and legitimizing our vision for the world in the sacred, those are all really powerful things. And so what we're facing right now today, or whether it was January 6th, Christian nationalism isn't the only story, right? There are other, there are a lot of things working together with this that, that make kind of what we're facing so daunting and difficult um, to unravel, but it is a key part of it, right? And understanding um, what Christian nationalism is and how it operates and see it then as a part of this, this larger story and what we're facing, I think is, is one of the ways that we have to kind of unravel this and hopefully mm. work, equip folks to respond to these things or for those who are maybe embracing aspects of it to, to gain a sense of maybe where this is pushing them in a direction that, that maybe they really wouldn't want to be pushed, but now they find themselves on. So, wow. yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, so, so the book is called American Idolatry. Uh, the subtitle is How Christian Nationalism Betrays the Gospel and Threatens the Church. Um, and my Amazon uh, thing today, it said, uh, can arrive at my house by 2 p.m. today. And that was at 7.30 this morning. So I don't know, somehow it's yeah. in the fast, the fast track. I bring that up because someone might want to order it for a stocking stuffer for your friends. Uh, if you have there a white you elephant gift party this weekend, it's a great white <laughs> elephant gift party or to set out in your coffee table or give to that friend. You're not quite sure uh, about. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of, sometimes people only think about books for themselves, but this might yeah. be one that could be a great little conversation starter. Yeah. And, uh, and also a good one for, for groups. Andrew, if people are super into this and Alex yeah. already said in the chat, she's, she's made the purchase. Um, yes. Thank you, Alex. Is there another, are, are there other books that you used in getting into this you think would be helpful? Do you have any other uh, additional resources after people do the right thing and click on the American Idolatry purchase button? Yeah. Well, I mean, I do I do believe in the book. And so thank you for, for helping raise that awareness. Um, you know, there, there are a couple other things that I'll mention real quick. One is um, I did a four-part podcast on Christian nationalism that folks can find on Apple. It's American Idols is the name of it. So kind of close to the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, we created a book discussion guide with this. So it is it is great for groups. And I was just at a church where uh, an adult Sunday school did it and they had people all across the spectrum. And there were folks that were not, this was a challenging book for them. And I get it. It is hard. It is challenging, but we have to press in and they were willing to. And so that was great. Um, but, you know, even with the uh, 
as an academic citing my sources, right, as you follow the footnotes, you're going to see those books that have been really influential uh, to me. I think, um, you know, a number of those folks, you know, early on in my journey, Greg Boyd's The Myth of a Christian Nation was really influential to me. And um, he's moved, you know, in a different direction from then too. And, and so have I. And so just seeing that journey has been good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin Shess, her book, um, the, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Um, the politics. Oh gosh. What do, is do, it? Do you know how to spell her I name, have, her last name? Caitlin? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Her well, this is her, this is her latest book. I have it right here. Caitlin Shess, the ballot in the Bible. This will be a really useful. I'm going through this right now. Really? Um, how the Bible is misused essentially in American politics and where we go from here. So great book um, was a uh, honor. She got an honorary book award with it already. Wow. Um, the liturgy of politics is her first book. Okay. That was do, do you know um, her personally? Uh, I've met her virtually and interacted wow. with her son, but we've never been in the same physical place at the same time. Could you put a word in if we were to reach out to her to be on the podcast? <laughs> yep. be involved in our I'm stuff? Sure she you would. Give us a, she would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Whitehead, uh, yeah, approval. yeah. Yeah, happy to do that. Yeah, so uh, her work is great. Um, David Gushy, who I'm sure you've interacted with too. Yes. Defending uh-huh. Democracy from Its Christian Enemies. Um, yeah, he's he's got that great book. Um, Robbie Jones, um, his latest book. Now this debuted as a New York times bestseller. Um, and so it's no, you know, uh, secret, but his books, the end of white Christian America, uh, white too long. Um, and then his latest book here about essentially about the doctrine of discovery and how harmful that has been, um, to democracy and Christianity in the U S. Um, those are some great ones. Uh, yeah, Lisa Sharon Harper mm-hmm. is another one. Um, the Very Good Gospel, that was really helpful. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I could go on and on. But yeah, in the book, great. you know, I really I really want to give credit to the ideas and people that have been influential. And so I think following some of those, if I write a line that you enjoy and you think and see there's a footnote, you know, I'm going to cite the person that was really influential and kind of guiding me to that place. So, mm-hmm. um yeah. Yeah. Hopefully some of those are helpful, but, um, yeah, folks can find me kind of on social media or I have a, can, a can, I take, so. can I take two more minutes of your time by asking you oh, yeah. to respond to sure. this question? We were, we made a little joke in the podcast on Tuesday about the, here in the Midwest, we have a thing called the feels like temperature. So it'll say like, it's, Oh yeah. Degrees, uh, it feels like at, nine. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yep. That's kind of an important thing because human beings tend to live not by statistics and numbers, but by human experience called the feels like. Yeah. You do all this work on Christian nationalism. You understand it. There's literally numbers and scales and people taking surveys and, and the Mm -hmm. Bible passages and things that are being said and references that can create one picture of Christian nationalism in America. What's the Andrew Whitehead feels like, scale on Christian nationalism in America right now? And, and where are we? Where, where, where's your, where's your sense? Yeah, I think, you know, it is automatically kind of, it, it's hard for me to disentangle what I know empirically, but then I can give you the sense of how that makes me feel and what I think is going on. Um, and so empirically, this isn't an ideology that's growing or spreading like wildfire. Um, we don't see any evidence of that, but what we do see is folks in high levels of positions of power, like the Speaker of the U.S. House, who who embrace this cultural framework. Um, and so the group of Americans that strongly embrace it might be getting smaller or they're, you know, they're the smallest group in our studies and, and staying that. But more and more, because they feel embattled or that they're shrinking, the, the salience of we are the the people that embrace this we have to do what's necessary to save this country that salience becomes greater and so the rhetoric and the commitment to it all of those things i think the temperature is being turned up on that so we're going into you know we were talking before uh coming on the podcast right the next year looking for you all what we're all going to be facing in the next year there's a lot of work to do and i think it is a pretty influential time um because yeah, a, a, a 
a pluralistic democratic society. We're actually a pretty young democracy here in the US if we really look at it. It's like since the 60s, right? That all Americans have had access. And that's being rolled back and I think that's a real threat. And so we should recognize we're in the fight, right? Like this, this is a part of it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a real threat there, I think. Right on. Andrew, thanks so much for your generous time today. Uh, People uh, pick up the book and share it with friends and family. And if you're going to share it with someone, buy one for yourself and buy one for them. Um, Yeah. As as, you know, a fellow author, I like to remind people that we don't need to be the Napster of books. um, (laughs) Yeah. Unauthorized distribution of copyrighted material. Stop sharing your books and buy one for everybody. That's that's always the author's author's dream, right? When someone's like, hey, I got your book from the library and then gave it to a friend. You're like, ooh. Okay. Uh, (laughs) It's one purchase that got to three people, which is great. Uh, But if you're going to be, you know, if you want to be helpful to Andrew's work and and all, uh, well, actually, if you're going to be helpful, buy 10,000 copies. That would be, that would be really helpful. (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. You know, stand on street corners and distribute. But thank you, buddy. Uh, Appreciate it. And, um, and enjoy the, the school break and all. And thanks for, thanks for being able to talk with us today. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I hope you all have a, a happy holidays. Right on. Okay, everybody. Thanks for being in the chat. Uh, Mike, Alex, everybody. Uh, I see Antonia is new. Oh, look at what I'm doing. Look at this crazy business. I don't even know how that's happening. I don't know what that is. All right. Uh, okay, y'all. Uh, we will uh, talk to you next week. Bye.